Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you once again for your Word. We thank you for who you are to us, for what you are to us. We thank you for all of your blessings. Lord, we, got, we just have so much to be thankful for. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ who um, are here, and, and we're here to worship you together, Lord. And we pray that you will be glorified. And I also pray that we all will have open and receptive hearts to receive whatever it is you have for us. Uh, we also pray to be open to the work of your Holy Spirit that you desire to work in and through us. So may you equip us for the work of the ministry. May you help us to be more like Jesus. May you help us to leave this place better than when we came in. And I also personally, Lord, pray uh, for the gift of teaching. I pray, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. And that if there's a timely word that anybody needs to hear, I pray that you will put that in my heart and on my mouth and help me to speak it with love and with boldness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we are in Luke, Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 15 through 17. So once again, that's Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 15 through 17. And we do have a title for the study. And the title is Let Them Come. Let Them Come. So according to... Two other Gospels, Matthew and Mark. So specifically in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, our lesson today chronologically comes after Jesus left Galilee, went into the region of Judea, east of the Jordan River, and then he discussed divorce and marriage. And so according to Matthew 19 and Mark 10, That's what our study follows. Uh, But you'll see that in the gospel, according to Luke, um, the material that we're going to study today is arranged a little differently chronologically. And so although these are what we call the synoptic gospel, because because mostly they are um, alike and they agree on a lot chronologically and in the material that's shared. But here, once again, we'll see that Luke's arrangement of what we're studying is just a little different. However, the topic and the theme still flows. So, for example, in in Luke 18, the lesson for today comes after a parable of the self-righteous Pharisee and a tax collector. And a parable, by the way, is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. You see, in this parable, Jesus talks about a Pharisee. He also talks about a tax collector that went to the temple to pray. And this Pharisee, according to this parable, was self-righteous and he was full of pride in his prayer. And if you're wondering what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee uh, was uh, a part of a political uh, religious party among the Jews. And the Pharisees, by the way, they were known for their belief in the oral law of Moses as well as the written law of Moses that Moses, of course, received from the Lord. And these Pharisees, they would place 
the, the tradition on the level of or above the law. And they were also known for their outward adherences to the law. And so on the outside, they look good. On the outside, they look holy. And so Jesus referred to them one time as, as these whitewashed tombs. And so they looked uh, pretty on the outside. They, they stood out, but on the inside, they were like dead men's bones. They were, they were just ugly on the inside. No love for God, no love for people, no relationship with God. And so this is the type of person we're dealing with in Luke 18, um, if you read before, you know, our study where we are today. And so the tax collector will be the other character in the parable. And tax collectors were often Jews who collected taxes for the Roman government. Uh, in fact, they would even ask for more money than what was required. And so they were hated uh, by the other Jews and they were seen as traitors. But this tax collector, even though he wasn't seen as holy like some of the Pharisees were, at least outwardly, this tax collector in Jesus's parable, he showed humility instead of self-righteousness and pride in his prayer. In fact, the tax collector, the scriptures tell us in Luke 18, the tax collector knew that he needed mercy from God. He knew that he did not deserve to be in a relationship with God. He he knew that he did not deserve a right standing with God or to even be a part of the kingdom of God. And so he appealed to God's mercy. That's what he requested. And mercy is us not getting what we really deserve because what we really deserve as sinners, as people who have offended a holy God, as people who broke his law, disobeyed his word, we really deserve an eternity separate from him in a place called hell, which Jesus, by the way, talked about. And so the tax collector, he asked for mercy. He was humble. Remember that word as we continue in our study today. And so the scriptures tell us, Jesus tells us the living word is Jesus. He, he told us that uh, the tax collector went home justified. He went home as a person who was declared righteous by God. In other words, he had a right standing with God. Now he is a part of the kingdom of God. But the Pharisee, even though he looked good and holy on the outside, he did not go home justified, did not have a right standing with God. He lacked humility in his prayer. And so we continue in Luke uh, 18 verse 15 so it picks up after that parable in Luke 18 it says then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them but when the disciples saw it they rebuked them and so these parents or, or the people who were there they brought the little children so that Jesus could touch them or lay his hands on them in order to bless them see in Luke um, it says infants, but the other synoptic gospel, it says little children. And so they, they brought these little children. They brought these infants to Jesus. They, they wanted Jesus to bless them. Now, at that time, they, this was not something that was uncommon because it was common among the Jews to bring their children to men who were devoted for their devotion to God. It, it was common for them to, to bring them to these type of men 
to have their babies prayed for and to have blessings bestowed on them through prayer. So this was not an uncommon thing that uh, these people, that these parents were doing and bringing their children to Jesus. And so as a church, we do dedicate babies. We do pray for the baby. We do pray for the little children. We, we pray for them that when they come of age and they are, understand they have a sin nature and that they're sinners who separated from God and that they need a savior. We pray for, when they get to that point that the spiritual blinders would be lifted and that the Lord would draw them to him and that they would grow up in the fear of the Lord. We also pray for the parents and those who are raising the baby and, the, and this child that they would lead their child and teach their child the ways of the Lord. However, as a church here, we do not baptize children in water. We don't even sprinkle water on children because baptism is for people who are already saved. So baptism, by the way, doesn't save people, but it is for saved people. Of course, after somebody gets saved, after they repent and they put their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, from that point, they get baptized in water because that baptism in water is an outward demonstration of an inward or spiritual reality that has taken place in that person's life. That's because that old person who was now in Christ has died. That person who used to be ruled by the sin nature, that person has has died, has been identified with the death of Christ and now that person is now risen and is now walking after the word of God living according to the word of God it's an identification with Christ you know babies are not at that point where they can make that decision and so we don't baptize children we, uh, unless they're at an age to where they're saved they know what they needed to be saved from and, and they make that decision themselves then we'll baptize the children but other than that that's not something we do for an automatic pass into heaven but like these parents we should take or introduce our children to god as soon as possible in fact if you're a parent or even a grandparent you should want your children or grandchildren to know god and to be blessed by him because once that relationship with the Lord is there, then, then you open up yourselves to the blessings of God, to experience his blessings in your life. And we can do this, of course, as far as introducing our children to the Lord. We can do this by teaching them the word of God. And the word of God is not just from any old book. It is from the Bible. That is the word of God that we are referring to. The words that we see in this Bible here, the Holy Scriptures, they are inspired by the Lord. In other words, they are God-breathed. And he gave them to certain men that he set aside to write down his word. So it's not man's word. It didn't originate from man, but it originated from God. And so we teach the children what thus says the Lord. And in fact, here at Calvary Chapel of Queen Creek, we want to make sure that the children understand the word of God at a level to which they can understand it. 
And, and also we, we have these different classrooms so they can learn in because sometimes in here we speak about topics that are just too mature for their ears. And so we do have these classes and we're blessed with so many servants over there that are just going to pour into the children. And by the way, as a parent, and, and I know you know this, if you're a, a believing parent, this should not be the first time that your children are hearing the word of God throughout the week or even this month. In fact, what we do here should just be icing on the cake or a cherry on top of the Sunday. And so we should be teaching our children the word of God. And so we first want to go to a familiar passage, which is Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so, yes, this is a general truth. Train them up in the word of God. Teach them the word of God. I even like what Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 7 says. I like it because it's in the word of God. But so it's true. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. So in other words, he's saying you shall teach God's commandments diligently, consistently to your children. Even if you're in your house, you're just hanging out in your house, teach it to your children. When you walk by the road, Teach it to your children. Sometimes we would be in the car as a family when my children were were younger. And sometimes I would just throw out Bible questions to them that I know uh, that, that they would probably get from the world. I would throw out challenges to them that they might hear in school from a from a maybe some future college professor or or maybe even from their school teacher, junior high, high school, elementary. I would I would just throw out some questions to them and see how they would answer those questions. And so we would try to talk about the word of God when we sat in our house, when we walked by the way or drove on the road freeway, when we lie down, when we rose up. We weren't perfect parents, but we tried our best to pour into our children. Ephesians 6, 4, just to go New Testament on you, it says, And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So in other words, we want to nourish the children up to spiritual maturity. Also in the discipline or training and the instruction of the Lord. And so instead of going above and beyond to just to annoy and make the children angry, just by having these crazy demands that we place upon them, these demands that are not even biblical or, or maybe some verbal uh, uh, abuse or maybe showing um, some type of preference uh, for one child over another. Those things could, could provoke our children to wrath. But instead of doing that, fathers or parents in general, we need to train and instruct our children. Because guess what? If we don't if we don't bring or introduce our children to the Lord, the world will gladly have them. See, the enemy, he influences. And when I say enemy, if you're new or visiting, we're talking about the spiritual enemy. We're talking about Satan and we're talking about demons or those fallen angels who rebelled with Satan. See, he influences the world system. And there's people in this world system who are a part of it who want to influence our children. You see, the enemy has infiltrated the public schools. 
the enemy has infiltrated the cartoons and even superhero movies with some type of ungodly agenda, some type of sinful lifestyle and sexual immorality that, that, that you even see on commercials. The enemy is trying to get to our children. You even have people, you know, who, uh, you know, live in sexual and moral lifestyles. They, they are upset. Some of them um, put videos on social media crying just because they can't share their sexually immoral lifestyle with kindergartners. Why does a kindergartner need to know that you are homosexual? That, that has no place in the school. That has nothing to do with education. But you have some of them screaming and crying and sending out threats just because they can't do that. But we have to look past the people and understand the, the attacks and the schemes of the enemy. Because the enemy wants to beat us to the punch of, of pouring in to our children, pouring the word of God into them. And so I must have to, I must ask the question and pose it to all of us. And the question is, who is influencing your children? You see, I'm not on mean to sound uh, proud or anything, but but I will say this, that as a father, I wanted to be the most influential man, not God, but I wanted to be the most influential man in my children's life. I wanted to be the one to share the word of God with them first. And that's how it should be in all households. They shouldn't be hearing the word of God for the first time outside of the house if you're a believer. And so what we want to do as a Christian community is, is we want to beat the enemy to the punch. And so uh, what the world does, what the enemy does is he takes things that, that, that really God created and he twists them. Uh, things like sex, for example, sex is good within the confines or circle of a marriage between one biological man and one uh, biological woman. And so sex is good there. Only in that realm. Anything outside of that circle is sin. But the enemy takes sex and he twists it. And so what we want to do is beat the enemy to the punch and let our children know what these things are about. You see the parents, these people in this study today, they try to do the right thing. They try to take their children to the Lord. They wanted their children to be prayed over by the Lord, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But the disciples rebuked them. They scolded these parents. But Jesus in verse 16 in Luke 18, he steps in because it says, but Jesus called them to him and he said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. Don't stop them for of such is the kingdom of God. Mark chapter 10, verse 14 adds that Jesus was greatly displeased when he saw his disciples rebuke the parents of the children. And so this is what is called indignation. This was righteous indignation that Jesus had. You see, indignation is anger that is aroused by something perceived as unjust, mean, and unworthy. And so Jesus had this righteous indignation here, greatly displeased with what they did. Because these disciples, once again, they, they stopped the parents from bringing their children to Jesus. All because they thought, and these are my thoughts, they, they probably thought that they were, these parents were bugging Jesus with their children. 
We don't want you to bug Jesus. There's other people more important than these infants, than these little children. So these disciples, of course, were needless to say, they were out of line. And what a reminder this is for us. The reminder for us is to don't speak for God regarding what we think God wants. I don't speak for God in regard to who or what we think he will accept. Oh, God could never accept that person. Oh, God could never save that person. And so if we can't find it in the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, or if we can't at least even find a principle or a concept in the Scriptures for what we're going to say, then don't pass it off as truth. See, these disciples, they thought they knew Jesus in regard to their situation with the children being brought to him, but they were severely wrong. You see, as a result of the disciples' rebuke, the Lord corrected them. And notice that I don't see anywhere in here where they talk back to Jesus. But Jesus, but, and some of us do that. We, we hear a sermon or maybe we read something in our quiet time and we come across a, script, a scripture that we don't necessarily agree with. And so we begin to argue with God. But God, my situation is different. I know you said that here, but, but mine's just a little different. And Lord, you don't have my exact situation in your words, some of us would say. But we need to be open to correction and teaching from the word of God. Because that's how the Lord mostly teaches us through the word. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration means it's God breathed. All scripture. What we have here on our lap, some of you on your devices. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable. It's useful for doctrine. In other words, for what we should believe as Christians and what we should be teaching. It's profitable for that. It's also profitable for reproof or pointing out what is wrong in our lives. Just much like an x-ray will point out a broken bone within our bodies. That's what the word of God does. It shows us where we are off, where we need something fixed. Jesus did that. He showed them that they were wrong. It's, it also... It's good for or profitable for correction to correct the broken bone, if you will, spiritually speaking. It's also good for instruction and righteousness that the man and or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so the word of God teaches us what is right, what is wrong. We have to be open to any correction and teaching that we need from him. And one thing that Jesus mentioned in verse 16 of Luke chapter 18, he mentioned that the kingdom, the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. Now, this brings us to the question, a very tough question. Many of you probably are wondering right now, or maybe it's a question you have asked. Maybe it's a question that you have researched already. Uh, But the question is, what happens to children who die before the age of accountability? You see, the concept of the age of accountability is that children are not held accountable for God, 
by God for their sins until they reach a certain age at which they understand right from wrong and that they understand that they are sinners who need the Savior, Jesus Christ. It is my personal conviction that that those children who died before the age of accountability are in the presence of God. But there's a reason why I came to that conclusion. And I just want to share some of this with you. I'm not an expert, but I just want to share some of what I learned with you. And so uh, the first reason I, I came to that conclusion of why I believe that those children who die before the age of accountability are in heaven. The first reason is that Jesus, first of all, and we see here, he used children as an illustration of those who are in the kingdom. So we can infer that or come to the conclusion that. There are children in heaven for how can little children be examples of the saved people if in their current state they are rejected by God and not received into his presence if they die. A second reason is that the Bible mentions that there are children who are too young to know good and evil. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 39 says, Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. They shall go in the promised land. So they're not going to be judged with the folks who knew better. They're going to go into Canaan, the promised land. To them I will give it and they shall possess it. So Moses here is speaking of the situation in which the children of Israel refuse to go into the land of Canaan because of the bad report that 10 out of the 12 spies had brought back. And therefore, those who were 20 years old and older, um, they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they would die. But Caleb, Joshua and the little ones at the time of the rebellion, they would be the ones to enter this promised land. Uh, but then there's another scripture in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. It says, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? He even cared about the animals. You see, after the people of Nineveh repented, after they believed God, after they fasted, uh, God did not judge the people of Nineveh but Jonah this prophet who's seen this great revival he, he was not happy about this but here in Jonah four eleven, we see that God is talking some sense into him but in both of these situations that I share with you in Deuteronomy and and Jonah 4 God did not want to judge the children because they were morally unaware. They weren't morally perfect. Yes, they had a sin nature. They weren't morally perfect. But at this point, they were not accountable for anything yet. So God didn't want to, you see that he didn't judge the ones that were able to enter into the promised land and so forth. But I have a third reason. The third reason, reason is that how people are condemned doesn't seem to be applied to children who have not reached that age or stage of accountability. And I'll let you know why I refer to it as stage later. For example, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, it talks about those who um, are past, I believe, that stage or age of accountability. Because they were suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. Babies are not even unaware to the point where they can't suppress the truth. 
Um, but then uh, these in Romans 1 was all, would also be judged because they were also approving of those who practice sin. Romans 1.32. But so babies are not doing that either. And so number four, the fourth reason I have is that David believed that he would see his dead baby in paradise. And for that, we can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 through 23. 2 Samuel 12, 19 through 23, it says, When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servant, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground. He washed and anointed himself, and he changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and you ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So this situation that we read about, it comes after David committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. And so as a result of his sin, the baby he had with Bathsheba died. But David, of course, believed that he would see his baby again. And he is talking, by the way, of more than the grave. He's talking about more than that, because just joining him in the grave, your body's just joining him in the grave. That doesn't that wouldn't bring him comfort. See, David believed that there was life beyond the grave. A fifth reason is in first John two, two. There it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so here we do not believe in limited atonement that that Jesus only died. For the sins of the believers. We believe that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But the benefits of his death will only be effective for the ones who put their trust in Christ. And so he is the propitiation for our sins for the whole world. In other words, he satisfies God's righteous demand against sin. He satisfied that. He stepped in our place. He died on the cross in our place. Not just for, but for the whole world, but only some and many of you have received Jesus Christ. And so this benefits you. And so Jesus' death was sufficient for payment for all sins. And the fact that that's the case, that would allow the possibility of God applying that payment to those who were not capable, never capable of believing though that is those who were incapable of understanding their sinful state and, and their need for the savior although the, the bible does not specifically say that he does this we're just taking principles and things from the bible we're just piecing them together and so not trying to be super dogmatic about this and say you can find this in Darrell chapter one verse one we're not doing that but we're just trying to piece things together and so, by the way, what we're talking about is different from universalism in the big words. So many of you heard of that, that that's the belief that all people are going to be saved, no matter if they believe or not. 
They can worship any God. They're going to be saved. That's universalism. That's false teaching. That's demonic doctrine of demons. It's not talking about that. We're, we're addressing those who have not gotten to that age or stage where they could even do this. Then number six, the sixth reason that I have for coming to this conclusion that, that babies or children who die before this age or stage of accountability will be in God's presence. It's number six, that God extending grace to those who cannot believe fits his character. For example, we see here that he loves children. We see that God is merciful. We know that, that is not, God is not willing for anybody to be lost. We also know that God always does what is right. And so maybe there's somebody who had a young child who died before that age of accountability or stage of accountability. Maybe that fits some of you or one of you. Or, or maybe the baby died as a result of something like abortion or maybe some type of sickness. And first of all, if, if you decided to have an abortion in the past, I want to let you know that God heals, that God forgives. The Bible tells us in Romans, it tells us that where sin abounded, grace super abounded. So that there is no sin that God cannot forgive. So if you repent it, you are in Christ. Do not allow the enemy to hold that condemnation over you. And so I want to bring you some truth and comfort in regard to that particular situation. But overall, if you ever had a baby, maybe through a miscarriage that has died, I just want to let you know that, that, that God always does what is right. And that God loves that child even more than you do. And so my prayer for you is that you will be comforted through the word of God and by his Holy Spirit. See, this age of accountability is not the same, by the way, for all people, because some people begin to understand right and wrong before other children. And so we could substitute this phrase with stage of accountability and people arrive at this stage when they're able to understand the difference between right and wrong when they understand the, that that they could make some moral choices but some people like some people with disabilities they would never reach this stage but in verse 16 the literal little children they were invited to come to Jesus and that shows that all are welcome to come to him Therefore, we need to get out of the way if somebody wants to come to Jesus. And sometimes we can get in the way by assuming who God will accept. Oh, that person could never be saved. Or maybe we have a bad attitude towards those who, are, who we're supposed to be introducing to Jesus. Maybe through some type of ungodly actions or ungodly speech, we can get in the way of people coming to Christ. And so the questions must be asked, are we bringing people to Jesus or are we in the way? If we're in the way, we need to get out of the way so that God could do a mighty work in their lives. In verse 17, Luke 18, it says, assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Mark chapter 10, verse 16 says this. 
And he took them up in his arms and he laid his hands on them and blessed them. Matthew 19:15 adds this. And he laid his hands on them and he departed from there. He departed from the region of Judea east of the Jordan River. You see, Jesus used children as an illustration of how to receive the kingdom of God. And so this message that is taught in Luke 18 verse 17 actually connects to Luke 18, 14. And so those remember, I've talked about that parable with the Pharisee and the tax collector. And so those who are like the tax collector, they're they're humble in their approach to God. So you see that lesson there, it connects to Luke 18, 17. This is the right approach and attitude to God. To come to God, receive the kingdom as a little child. You see, we need to come to God the Father through Jesus, who's the king of the kingdom. We need to come to God, receive that kingdom with a childlike faith. But why the comparison to children? Well, that's because children are dependent. In other words, they know their place. They know they need help. Children usually are humble and and they are trusting. They totally lean upon their parents for help. And I have a picture here of of one of my children. This young man's name is Devon, my 15-year-old son. He has autism. I have a total of four children. Three are adults that have two daughter-in-laws, one son-in-law. But this young fella still lives in our home. This brother here, you've probably seen him around church. So some of you, when you saw that picture, you're like, oh, that's his dad. And so, like I said, in the first service, if he's doing something good, that's my child. If he's doing something crazy, that's Donique's, my wife's child. So tell her when he's acting up. But this brother, yeah, we could write a story called The Adventures of Devon if we wanted to. And so he's not super high-functioning, autistic child, but he could do some things. He has his issues. Some days are harder than others, not just for him, but for us as well. But we, but we often laugh as a family about this young man because we just look at him and say, this guy, he just, he is living the life of the rich and famous and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> this guy, he has his own room, his own bed. I mean, you know, his favorite shows that he has on the TV, he has that stuff. When he gets hungry, he can open up the refrigerator, go to the pantry. When we're out and about and he's hungry, we'll stop and uh, pick up something for him to eat. He's just, it's almost like he just presses a button and, and mom and dad helps him out. So he, he has no concept that, that, that somebody has to pay the electric bill. No concept that somebody has to pay for the mortgage so that he can even have a room. There's no concept of anything. When a car breaks down, just no concept of how much gas costs. There's no concept of anything. Like that. All he knows is that mom and dad take care of me. Dependent on mom and dad. And he trusts us to take care of him. See the attitude of being dependent and humble and just totally trusting upon God can be seen in Devon and and others like him and other little children. But the opposite attitude would keep a person out, a person who's self-righteous. They want to depend on themselves. 
And here's the thing. As believers, we came to Jesus with a childlike faith. But along the way, Christians, in our walk, oh, we cast a childlike faith aside. Oh, our faith have now become more complicated. See, some of us have become self-sufficient. You see, earlier in our walk, when we first came to Christ, you depended on God for everything. When the food ran out, when the money ran out, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm trusting you to help me. Oh, Lord, I lost my job and I don't know which job I'm going to have next, but I'm trusting you to open that door for an interview and for a new job. And and so early in your walk, you were not self-sufficient, but now you have become that. Your faith has become sophisticated and complicated and you don't have that childlike faith anymore. You're still Christian, but, but, but your faith is just not childlike anymore in your walk with the Lord. And by the way, it's not that we don't have a part to play, but it's just that we need to trust in him to show us what to do and to empower us in that. Or maybe for some people in regard to why the childlike faith has been cast aside, maybe you experienced a lot of success and, and that caused you maybe to lose sight of who got you there. Or could it be that you think that your problem, the problem that you're going through, could you think that maybe it's too big for him before in the past you, you just knew that, that, that God was going to take care of it. But now to you, now the problem is too big. They said, people said it's impossible, so it must be too hard for God. Your faith has become complicated and no longer childlike in your walk with him. In fact, some people even leave prayer to their last resort instead of the first resort. Maybe there's some people who become disillusioned because things are not how you think they should be right now. You had these big grandiose, this big vision of how life would be when you got older and you got into the military or you got a certain job, a certain career or your family, your marriage would work a certain way. And when things didn't work out exactly how you wanted to or your bank account isn't as big as you thought it would be. And now you're disillusioned and now your childlike faith that you had when you first came to Christ has somehow gone by the wayside and some of you by the way are maybe discouraged for whatever reason oh for you the disappointments of life are too much you see believers we may not be familiar with the situation or you may not know the future of how the situation is going to turn out uh, but i got to tell you this if you're a believer if you've been in the word you do know him and that's important we know that he is good we know that he's all powerful, that he is sovereign or the supreme ruler. We, we should know as believers that there's nothing impossible for him. In fact, the only thing that is impossible for him is for God to lie. We should also know our God that he wants us to come to him. You see, the literal little children were invited to him. And, and all people, by the way, are invited to come to Jesus. We also need to understand or be familiar with the with our God, with the fact that God's got us. You know, I like talking to some young people when I'm when I'm somewhere in there. Maybe they're, you know, maybe a waiter or waitress or something like that. Or maybe they're helping us at the store. We ask for something and they say, I got you. And I know exactly what they mean by that. When they say, I got you, what they mean is that I'll take care of you. 
I'm looking out for you. And so get to know your heavenly father that, that, that he's got us. You can almost hear God saying when you're in that tough situation, when, when you're having that challenge in your life that I, I got you. We need to get used to allowing God to be in God. Get, get back to that place where we're confident in spite of the circumstance that, hey, God's got us. I don't understand how this is going to work out, but God's got me. I, I remember what that person said about the situation they were in, similar to mine. It didn't work out for me, but you know what? In spite of that, God's got me. We need to get back to that place. And here's the thing. Whatever we don't know, we need to trust God with that information. And this is one of my favorite verses, especially when I have people who ask Bible questions and they want to know, uh, why did this happen or why did God allow that to happen? I like Deuteronomy 29, 29, because it says that the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And so there are just some things that God does not reveal to us. But what he has revealed to us in his word, we are responsible to obey. And we just need to be okay that that, that father, I don't know everything that, you know, but I know you got me. You know all things, and I know that all things are going to work together for my good. I, I, I know you promised that in your word, and so I'm going to keep you. I'm going to leave you with those secret things and be okay with that, the childlike faith. You see, we don't need to know everything, but we can get to know the one who knows all, and we can trust him. So believers, continue to trust in God and your Christian walk with that childlike trust get back to that place get get back on the bike in other words with that childlike faith oh that same uh faith you had when that relationship was new when you joined his family because see you can only join the family of god by repenting and putting your trust in jesus you have to be born into his family that's what jesus meant must be born again as the worship team takes the stage We need to get back to that childlike faith that even in our ups and downs, Lord, I trust you. I know you got me. When things are going well, when we have success, when we have failure, we we need to have that childlike faith just depending on him, totally leaning upon him, saying just, Lord, I know you got me. That faith where you're just totally leaning upon him. And as we continue to go through our Christian walk, trusting in him, hopefully once again, if you set that aside with that childlike faith, I would encourage you to bring others along. Instead of getting in the way, bring others along to meet Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. And so in other words, doesn't matter who they are, little children, adults, the worst criminals, any murderer, addicts, family, friends, whoever does not know Jesus, I would say, let them come. Let them come so that they too can become children of God through faith in Christ. Let them come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you invite us to be a part of your family. 
And we thank you for using us to share the gospel with others. And help us, Lord, to to know what maybe our lifestyles or even just the, the way we think about people just stand in the way of people coming to you. And I pray for anybody here, Father, who or, or maybe grieving and they don't know why their loved one had passed away or why this sickness has come upon them or anyone else they love. Help them, Lord, to have that same simple trust that they had when they first came to you. We pray for anyone who has not yet placed their trust in Christ. I pray that you would draw them. You would draw them to your son, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would encourage us, equip us, use us according to your will this week, Lord, all for your glory. Learning to trust you with that simple trust, depending on you, trusting in you with all our hearts, not leaning to our own understanding. Help us, Lord, to get there. But Father, may you bless our week. May you be glorified in our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.